0: Good evening, everyone. Uh, my name is Christine. I'll be doing the second Bible reading, which is taken from Romans chapter 5, verse 1 until 11. You can find in the, some of the few Bibles, uh, page 1181. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 to 11. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us.
1: This is God's words. Now, there we go, we're on. Um, There is an outline of this talk, if you need one, if you're a visitor here tonight, that will help you follow along in this sermon we will be working through that passage, so keep your Bibles open. There is also a full transcript of the talk for those of you who need it, so that you might find that helpful, so you can grab one of those. And do remember, tonight's supper away. Uh, For those of you who are uh, new to our church or would just like to find out a bit more about what our church is on about, come along to Chris's house. Uh, We'll do a, a short sort of presentation to share with you what our church is on about, what it means to be a part of us and a part of this church family. So do consider coming along to Christmas tonight if you're new to our church and want to find out more. He's got a very big house and it'll fit everyone. So come along. Um, but we're going to look at this very, uh, very fantastic uh, part of scripture. Uh, so let's ask God for his help uh, that we might understand it and that we'll find great comfort in this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your revealed word to us, which shows your heart, which shows your purposes. And so we pray, Lord, that as we reflect on this passage, uh, that you'll give us great comfort in the peace and in our hope that we have in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, friends, when was the last time that you've taken the time to just stop, to think, to reflect on how good it is to be a Christian. Have you done that recently? You know, as someone who is, who is loved by the God of the universe, as someone who belongs to the God of the universe, have, have you taken the time recently just to stop and to reflect? That is so good to be a Christian. You see, I find that if I don't do this often enough, I lose perspective in life. I'll find that I end up more stressed than I need to be. If I don't do this enough, I lose perspective and I find that I'm more worried than I should be. I lose perspective and I find that I'm more uncertain than I'm meant to be. And I wonder whether that happens to you as as well when you don't take the time to reflect on how good it is to be a Christian. You see, if we don't do that enough, we're, we're in fact selling ourselves short of the life that Christ has won for us. You see, for many of us, However many years we have lived, when we reflect on our past, I suspect for many of us there will be things that will continue to haunt us. There will be things that we might still be ashamed of. There will be things that continue to hurt us or the baggage we we continue to bear that just weighs us down. Or for some of us, when we reflect on even our life today, for some there might be things now in your life that just seems overbearing, and overwhelming and just depressing and just out of control. For some, that, it might be just that unsettled heart, that, that, that heart you carry inside, the heart of bitterness and hurt and hatred and unresolved issues. Or, or for some of us, just thinking into the future, there are so many uncertainties and that just unsettles us. What will I do in the future? Where will I live? Who will I have around me? Who will I be growing old with? Will I be fulfilled in the future? So many uncertainties looking back, looking at today, and looking into the future. And it can be stressful, it can be overwhelming, it can be uncomfortable, and can be just unpleasant. Now, I wonder whether that might reflect some of your lives here tonight. or maybe your life is not like that at all. Maybe your life is just that perfect life. You know, not a worry not a concern at all, your, your heart's desires, all of it fulfilled, you know, you're perhaps, maybe you're like one of this. you, you look like Brad Pitt, or, or maybe if you're the female version, Emma Watson, model for Chanel, whatever you do, never need Botox or liposuction, whatever they are, your life is just perfect, you look good. And you remain looking good. You've got six-pack and all, uh, uh, fit like an athlete. You're you're a hard worker, like a farmer, never sick, never ill, always feeling 100%, completely fulfilled, completely satisfied in life now. And everyone just loves you. Maybe that's your life, the perfect life. Well, if that's you, I want to be your friend. Tell me how. But I suspect that's none of us. None, None of us have that perfect life. But even if it was, you see, what we learn in this passage is that there is something far greater, far better when we take the moment to reflect how good it is to be a Christian. I belong to the God of the universe. I am dearly loved by the God of the universe because to do otherwise is to lose perspective in life and to sell ourselves short. And that's why this passage tonight... It is so helpful, so fantastic. It's perhaps one of the most comforting, most reassuring, most encouraging, most heartening of passages in Scripture. And tonight, I need this passage, and I suspect many of you do need it too. So let's have a look. How might we, as Christians, lose perspective in life? Well, firstly, we lose perspective by not realising And not remembering that we have peace with God today. If we who belong to God, if we who have faith in Christ, we have peace with God today. You see, peace is something that every human being longs for at our very core. Everyone wants peace. You see, in the craziness of life, of unending traffic, of the blasting music, of the sirens going off, of the alarms ringing, of the phones buzzing. We just want peace. Or, or when, when there's anger in a household, when there's fighting, when there's friction, when hearts are torn apart, when marriages are broken and families are torn and children are neglected, we, we just want peace. Or when there are wars waging around the world, children dying, leaders just ignoring, millions going hungry, we just, we just want peace peace don't we in fact one of the deepest cries of all humanity is for there to be peace and it's why we value the work of organizations like the united nations who fight for world peace and it's why people hope that putting on the tombstone of the dead that they will be resting in peace it's one of the deepest longings of all humanity to have peace but you see what we find here in this passage is that there's a greater peace that we can have. And it is this greater peace that all Christians have. And that is peace with God. Peace with God. It's just like in that children's song by Colin Buchanan. You know that great theologian to children? One of his songs. It's the only treasure, the greatest treasure in the whole wide world is peace with God. I won't sing, I'm not that good as, as a singer. The greatest treasure in the whole wide world is peace with God. It's the only treasure that will never fade. Even death can't take it away. That's how the song goes. And you see, peace, what we see in this passage, is one of the fruits of justification. We've been thinking about justification over the last few weeks. Justification is the legal, legal idea of being declared innocent righteous without guilt without blame before the judge but now coming out of this declaration that you are righteous before god is is this relational reconciliation that we see today when enemies become friends that is when there is peace you see sometimes when we think about peace we're thinking maybe two enemies when they when they're trying to kill each other but if they stop fighting stop trying to kill each other stop talking stop seeing each other keeping the distance build a wall between them that we might think there's peace they're not fighting anymore but that's not the peace of the bible peace is far more than that it is for them to be restored as friends it's a bit like in the movie some of you may have seen this uh, the movie the railway man anyone seen that movie the railway man based on a true story A story of a British Army officer, Eric Lomax. During World War II, he was a prisoner of war of the Japanese. He and thousands of others, they were tortured in brutal, horrendous ways while they were forced to build a railroad between uh, between uh, Burma and Thailand. In that uh, torture and and the work that they had to do, 83,000 people were killed building that railroad. Now, Lomax, this guy, he's been bearing this hatred, this hurt of the Japanese for so long. For 50 years, in fact, this guy on the, on the left, he, he hunted down his torturer for 50 years. He wanted to kill him. He wanted to take revenge on him. For 50 years, he went hunting him. When they were finally reunited, about 50 years later, he found his torturer. On that same bridge, they both helped to build. What happened was, what eventuated was, he did not take out revenge. But when they met, there were tears and repentance and forgiveness. When they, when they met, this was how old they were, they in fact became good friends after that for the remaining 18 years of their life. You see, enemies becoming friends. That is the peace that the Bible speaks of. But, but here, out of God's own initiative, there is now for Christians peace with God. Look at verse 1 with me. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see that? Have you realized how profound that is? That we as people can have peace with God. I mean, this is the peace we Christians get to enjoy today. And because of that, we always have access to God. That's why we can pray to God each day. We have access to God. And we always remain in the favor of God, in the grace of God. We stand in His grace. It's unlike, you know, you watch these movies of these powerful kings and emperors. All those officials around them, all those stewards, they have to be so careful just in case the king removes his grace, removes his favor. But this will never happen with Christians. We can always be around God, have access to God. We have peace with God today. And so we see in verse 2, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. As Christians, we have peace with God, so we stand in grace. And so despite whatever stress or worries or uncertainties we might feel, I have peace with God today. Have you ever thought how good it is to be a Christian? You out of all the peoples of this world, you have peace with God. But more than that, another fruit of justification is that we now have hope for tomorrow. Not just peace for today, but hope for tomorrow. You see the future verdict of justification of being declared innocent has been brought forward. And everything changes because of that. We can really live with hope. Not hope as in wishful thinking. False optimism, but certain hope of the future. And what we see Paul describe is this jubilant hope that all Christians have. Hope in the glory of God. To one day see God in his glory when Christ returns. To be with God in all his glory In fact, to share in the glory of Christ for all eternity. I mean, if you think about that hope, imagine this, a thousand years from now, many of our petty worries and concerns we have today, things that weigh us down, do you think they will still concern us in a thousand years when you're in heaven, in all of the glory of heaven and the glory of God? I mean, in a thousand years from now, all our little concerns that we feel today, they will in fact look so foolish and so childish. And so we see here, verse 2, the second part, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. This is how good it is to be a Christian. Peace today, hope for tomorrow. In fact, hope is, in, is something that helps all people manage through all the ups and downs. It helps with our mental state. This is not just a Christian thing, you see. Everyone wants hope. There's this article that was published by the Florey Institute of Neuroscience and Mental Health, the biggest, the largest brain research group in the Southern Hemisphere, so they do some big research, long-term research. And in one of their research, Australia's largest longitudinal study monitoring how the brain ages, this was what they discovered. They're trying to work out when people develop Alzheimer's disease or, or dementia. They were interested in working out how Old people keep their brain in tip top condition. And do you know what they discovered? One of the stars of their research is, in fact, one of our elders, our elderly elder, Barry Dimolo. He performed better than 95% of the people his age. And if, if you've spoken to Barry, you can see he's got a sharp mind. Now, Barry was asked in this study. What was underlying the reason for his health and contentment? He's old, but yet his mind is so sharp. Barry just said one word. He he told me this. He said one word. It is hope. It is hope. And that's because the certainty of life beyond this one means that old age and death is not to be feared as the end. There is hope. His mind is kept sharp because of that genuine hope. Now, where do you think Barry, our elder, got this from? Where got it from this passage? From here, we have the hope in the glory of God. But now some might say, well, that all sounds good when life is well. But what if life gets tough? Suffering, hardship comes, and it's difficult to live. I mean, Christians do suffer, don't we? Christians do suffer. What hope is there in suffering? Christians experience all the same types of difficulties everyone else experience. Christians have experienced the conflict that everyone else experienced, even in the Christian community. Even amongst Christians, marriages break up. Even amongst Christians, there are relationships that are just heartbreaking and hurting. The tragedies that strikes down the rest of the world also strikes down Christians. They suffer too. They get the very same type of diseases... The same cancers, the same illnesses, they too will also lose people they love. And so how does this hope help them, uh, then, help us then? What does Paul have to say here? Well, you see, this hope is not wishful thinking. Listen to what Paul says. Christians can face suffering so different to the rest of the world. It is so radical what Paul says here. And we need to hear this, so different. They can even rejoice through suffering. I mean, when you suffer, you think, this is bad. I want to give up. But not for the Christian. You can rejoice in it. It is not because we're some massacres and we enjoy pain, but it's because where this suffering leads to, the promise of where it leads to. It is God's way of helping Christians, his people, grow in their dependence upon him grow in their godly character, and grow in hope. How? Through suffering. Look at verses 3 to 4. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. I mean, have you ever thought about that? When you suffer, when things are going bad, when you don't get the result you like, when relationships break up, when there's someone who, who, who's so close to you, but gone through some difficult times, some illness, or even when you lose people, this is meant to help. That's why John Calvin, the great reformer, he said, the fire of affliction reveals the quality of our faith. It's so true. The fire of affliction reveals the quality of our faith. When Christians suffer, it becomes clear to us and everyone else around us it becomes clear where our faith lies and what our hope is in and i've seen this played out in the members of our church now if you've been here uh, for a while you will know there have been many members of our church who do have cancer or who did have cancer and i have to i did sit down with many of them and to hear of their struggles but What surprised me, despite the months of uncomfortable chemotherapy, they yet have this this hope, this calmness, this faith in the wonderful promises of God. How is that possible? Well, it's because of what Paul says here. Suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. It is true for the Christian. It is so true when we face suffering. That is the promise. You see, each time we suffer, it in fact makes us stronger. It helps us to persevere in faith. Say I'm going through a difficult time. I can chuck in the towel, throw a tantrum, get angry with everyone around me, get angry at God himself. Or it can drive me to the place where I can find comfort and peace and love and hope. And that's the the promise of God to his people. You see, God, you promise. I don't know how I'm going to get through this difficult time. I don't know why you sent this, why I'm struggling in this hardship, but you promise, God, you promise here, well, I'm going to trust you. I will persevere. I will cling on to that hope you've promised. You see, and each time we do this, it it strengthens our endurance. It, It makes us more resilient. It's a bit like fitness training. How do you get stronger? You do 10 push-ups a night the next night you do 11 and you keep on adding on you get stronger and stronger that way it's a bit like that with our faith with our perseverance each time we suffer we endure and it gets stronger and what does suffering do for us well it proves that our character is for real you can work out whether someone's a genuine christian or not when they suffer if they throw in the towel that's not a real one if they persevere in faith as god has promised that's a real one Affliction reveals the quality of our faith. It refines our faith. It builds hope. In fact, this is how Christianity has thrived in Christian history. Christianity grew strongly, most powerfully, when it's under persecution, not when things are good. You see, you can never persecute Christianity out of existence. You can seduce Christians with wealth and comfort and that would that would get them out of existence, but you can't persecute them out of existence. And that's why the prayers of the persecuted churches, if you if you read articles from Voice of the Martyrs, Barnabas Fun, they're all the same. They don't pray, they don't ask us to pray that the persecution would end. You know, from our Western worldview and our life. We, we, we want to pray, let, let's end the persecution, God. But they said, I pray that the persecution will end. Rather pray that they will stand strong through the persecution, that they will persevere through them. Why Why pray such a prayer? Because they understand this passage. They don't ask that they will be delivered from persecution, but that they would be able to overcome the trials that they are facing in a way that honors God. They pray that because they understand this passage. In in an article by the Voice of the Martyrs, Stephen, a faculty member in Burma at a Bible college, there he, he said this, we believe that where persecution is there, the gospel rapidly runs. And so, he sort of like jokingly in this video, he said, so we try to find even persecutions. Christianity thrives on the persecution. And that's exactly what happened with Christianity when it first began. It was an illegal religion in the Roman Empire. What happened? Did it stop the growth? No, it continued to grow and spread. Even last century in communist China. After World War II, the communist party, they expelled all Western missionaries, hoping that that would make a stop to Christianity in China. But do you know what happened? It made it more indigenous. The leadership was all indigenous, and therefore it strengthened the church. And continues to grow today so when times are good what do we do well we hope there are better things to come when times are terribly bad what do we do we hope peace for today for us who are christians hope for tomorrow for us who are christians even in suffering but now i suspect many of us might be having doubts how can this be so sure is this just christian talk to christians making us feel good how can we be so certain that we do have this peace and this hope well the apostle paul here anticipated this and he answers this he says this is all grounded in the love of god that's why we can have peace that's why we can have hope it is all grounded in the love of god and God has made His love known to us. Firstly, He's made it known through His Spirit internally in Christians. Secondly, He's displayed His love in His Son externally to this world. So, have a look. We, we, we follow on in these in these verses. How do we, as Christians, get a sense that God really loves us? That we can really. Have that sense of peace, that we know that we do have peace with God, that we can have this hope. How do we know that God loves us? Well, we know internally that God loves us because the Spirit of God convicts us and convinces us that this is so. That's what we see in verse 5. Look at that. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom He has given us. Now, I know from within, as a Christian, that God loves me. You can't convince me otherwise. You try to convince that God doesn't love me. I know that God loves me. I know it from within because we're we're told here the Spirit of God convicts us so. It's a bit like how I know from within that whatever Yvonne is up to today, whatever she does, I know from within that she loves me. I mean, how can she not? She loves me. I know from within. The love of God is known through His Spirit internally today for Christians. But here we also see the love of God was also displayed in his son externally in the past for this world to see. We can know of the love of God by what he has proven in the past. Just like I can know today that Yvonne loves me by what she has proven in the past, in the promises she made on our wedding day. But here we see a far greater love than that the greatest display of love. Look at verses 6 and 7. You see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. You see, the extent of God's love, it's not how good we are. It's easy to love when we're good, when we're nice, when we're decent. But the extent of God's love is is how bad we are how worthless we are that is how big God's love is now this as we'll read on is perhaps the most profound most comforting verse in all of scripture you see when I reflected on this I would not give up my son for anyone I mean if I had to choose between my children and you I'll choose my children. I love you too, but I will choose my children. I just, I wouldn't doubt it. I wouldn't even think uh, second thought. But here is the love of God for his enemies. Verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now we have to allow that to sink in a bit. Imagine that story I I shared with you before between that army officer, Eric Lomax, and his torturer. He did a tremendous thing to not only not take out revenge, not kill, but to extend forgiveness to this who betrayed him and to become friends. He did a wonderful, tremendously gracious thing. But imagine if he was to do that not 50 years later, But while he was still an enemy, while he was still a prisoner of war, while they were still trying to get each other killed, to not only extend forgiveness at that point, but in fact, more than that, to become friends of his torturer at that point, but even more than that, to take the bullet for his torturer. Man, who would do such a thing? That's crazy. That's radical. That's irrational. That's unconditional love. You see, if that were to happen, that might come a little close to the love of God for us displayed in his Son. There's this wonderful song by a Canadian band that tries to sort of capture this wonderful love of God. Who would do such a thing? It's titled, How Many Kings? And it goes like this. How many kings step down from their thrones? How many lords have abandoned their homes? How many greats have become the least for me? How many gods have poured out their hearts to romance a world that is torn all apart? How many fathers gave up their sons for me? How many? None. Except this one. Except this God. That is the extent of the love of God for us. How good it is to be a Christian. And so how can anyone stop us from being saved now? That's what Paul goes on to argue. Is there anything more for God to do? He's already given us his son. Look at the scars of his son. Is that love not enough? What more is there for God to do? You see, if we look past, look at the past, and see the cross and the scars of Christ, then we can look into the future with complete confidence and the assurance of salvation. There's nothing more for God to do. He's already given us his son. And so if God saved us while we were hostile, how much more now that we're friends? And that's what we see in these final verses, 9 to 11. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. I mean, those verses there are meant to help us see any inkling of doubt that we Christians might have, any concern of the future, that should all be snuffed out, completely gone. Leave no doubt at all that that is our future i mean think about it if that is what god has promised if that is what god has promised us how cruel would it be for god to do otherwise after giving us his son after giving us this hope of glory on friday it was the last day of school many of you know that last day of term And I had the job of picking up our kids on the Friday. They finished a little early. So I thought, last day of school, let's be a nice father. Let's give them a little treat. And and so I said to them, you're going to get a treat today, kids. Get excited only after you do your piano. So my love's conditional. Do your piano practice and we'll go and give you a treat before we pick up your mother. They did their work really quickly. So I took them off on the way to where um, their mother, my wife, Yvonne, works. We parked in a car park at Blackburn. It was between McDonald's and Woolies. And I was just playing with them. What do you think your treat will be? Now, I know what they want, Woolies or McDonald's. What do you pick as a kid? But uh, I think it was Esther, she even tried to do some reverse psychology with me. She said, yeah, we're going to Woolies. Yeah, right. (laughs) But if at that point I drove off, we went there in a car park, these McDonald's. I drove off and I said to him, hey, I was just kidding. The treat was a joke. How funny is that? Ha ha. <laughs> April Fool's in June. I mean, what type of father would I be if I were to do that? I mean, as my children, they already have all I own. All I have belongs to them. And we give them all that they have. So we went to McDonald's. And when we were inside I was thinking about this passage, but I was also thinking about them. I asked them, why do you think that? They I knew inside, they knew that I would take them to McDonald's. They knew that that, that was the truth. But I said to them, how do you know that I would take you to McDonald's? And they said, without thinking, because we wanted to. I said, no, that's not the answer. Not because you wanted to. And one of the wise of our children said, because you love us. I said, that's right. Remember that. I love you if all i have belongs to you what's a mcdonald's meal but far greater than that if god has already as our heavenly father given us his son who bled and died what's a mcdonald's meal to god what is salvation that has already been paid for us by the blood of his son we can have hope for tomorrow because it's grounded in the love of god and so what do we see peace for today if you're a Christian, peace for today. What we also see is hope for tomorrow, both grounded in the love of God. That's the perspective we Christians can have and do have in both life and death. How good it is to be a Christian. I mean, if we don't reflect on that enough, then we will be more stressed than we need to be, then we will be more worried than we should be, then we will be more uncertain than we're meant to be, as the past weighs us down, as our present day feels like we're stuck in the mud, as our future is just but a a dark, blurry, thick fog, this passage says it doesn't have to be that way at all. It's not meant to be that way. And so what does it look like then for us Christians to have peace today and hope for tomorrow? Well, what it looks like to have peace for today What it looks like is every day when I wake up, I will have no idea whether this day that God has given me will be a good day or a bad day. I will have no idea whether I'll feel good this day or not. I'll have no idea whether this day will be one of those crazy, frantic, running-around days or not. This day might even be the day I forget to do my personal devotions. This day might even be the day I get so angry in the car, I want to hit someone. Or impatient with my kids unkind to a stranger rude to someone I love that might be the day I might even be feeling burdened and weighed down by the things I've done this day what does peace with God mean it means that that never changes even though that might be my day today I have peace with God today always always his friend never his enemy always his son, never a stranger. You see, there will, be never, there will never be a day when I wake up and suddenly find that God has said he's changed his mind. He's kicked me out of his kingdom. I've now become his enemy and a stranger to this God. Never will that day come if you are a Christian. And even if I do have periods and seasons in life, when I feel far from God, nothing changes this. I remain at peace with God out of His own love. And so when I wake up each morning, this is what I know peace with God today. It is good for us to be reminded of that. The greatest treasure in the whole wide world is what? Is peace with God. Second, we see here we have hope for tomorrow. What does that mean? What does that look like? Well, whether there will be good days or bad days ahead, and we know there will be good days, we know there will be bad days, whether there will be heartaches ahead, whether there will be times where we just feel unbearably difficult and hurt, even if we do suffer and experience the pains and the heartache we see around us when that comes upon us. I mean, I've been in ministry not that long, but long enough to see that every single one of us have something we're dealing with, have some issue we're trying to deal with, have some problem that we're dealing with, some hurt. I've been long enough to see that all of us experience that. How will I get through that? How will I persevere? Well, I persevere knowing what is promised here, that whatever I suffer, we will all suffer, whatever I suffer, it does not escape the sovereign purposes of God never escape whatever you suffer and what is that purpose well that i will persevere in trusting him that i would grow a genuine godly character a proven character that i will continue to cling on to the hope of the glory of god that is what's promised in fact many pastors have said this you will never know god is all you need until god is all you have have you heard that before You'll never know God is all you need until God is all you have. You see, when we face suffering, we cling to God. It's never too overwhelming when we face suffering. It's never helpless, and it's certainly never hopeless. There is genuine, confident hope for all Christians. I mean, that's the radical perspective that we can have, how good it is to be a Christian. You see, if we un- actually understand this, it changes the way we live and die completely changes all of that having hope for tomorrow means that every day we get older every day we get older every day we get more frail every day we get weaker every day we get sicker every day we lose more hair lose our energy lose our health lose our strength and i'm coming to that stage where i see it amongst my parents it is happening what will it mean Every day as we get weaker and more frail, it's in fact a day closer to glory. The closer we are to our deathbed is a day closer to glory. Do you believe that? And so getting old should excite us, not depress us. So one of you, I mean, all you older people, you should be more happy than us younger folks because you're closer sort of. But look at what Spurgeon once said. He said... Uh, He said this, the best moment of a Christian's life is the last one because it's the one that that is nearest to heaven. I'll say it again. The best moment of a Christian's life is his last one because it's the one that is nearest to heaven. I mean, that's the perspective we can all have. So how can we be so confident, so certain, so assured of this peace and hope? We look back to the cross. We see the scars of our Savior. That was the extent of the love of God for us. And so if you're not yet a believer, I mean, don't you want that? The peace and hope we Christians have, the love that we experience as Christians. And when I was preparing not just this talk, but really this series, it got me reflecting on, on how did I deal with the most traumatic experience of my life so far? Or how did I help to deal with someone else's traumatic experience? As I was preparing this sermon, it got me thinking a lot about, about what happened a few years ago when, when a young man from amongst this church was killed in a tragic accident. Traumatic time of my life. And I still remember trying to help these grieving parents when I'm trying to grieve myself. And I've often, throughout the year, have thought much about these parents, his parents. Christians, godly, wonderful people, wonderful Christians. But I was thinking, how do you get through that? Losing a son, losing a 25-year-old son. I can't even begin to imagine the pain they still bear in their heart. Never to see their son grow old. Never to see their son maybe get married, have children. Never to see their son in all, all his glory. I've thought much about this, the parents. How, they, how can they persevere? How can they get through what had ha- happened? But in the sovereignty of God, they in fact came to church this morning. I got to speak with them. I've wondered. I've ridden cards to them. I got to speak to them. Ask them, how are you managing? They're doing well. But I could see they still bear the pain and bear, bear the hurt, but they're persevering in faith. They haven't thrown in the faith. They haven't turned their backs on God. They're persevering in faith, even through the hardest of sufferings their character second to none i was concerned for them how are you traveling but in the kindness of their heart they, they were concerned for me how are you going brother as a young minister i was so encouraged by their faith how can you get through life when you lose a son well it has to be like what we learned today peace with god today hope for tomorrow that's the perspective. This parent has this is the perspective we have how good it is to be a Christian. I have peace today, I have hope for tomorrow because of the love of God for you and me. It is good to be a Christian. Let me pray, gracious Heavenly Father. Oh, how wonderful your love displayed so powerfully in the death of your son, whose scars continue to remind us that we are at peace with you today, and we have hope for tomorrow. Oh, how long we long for the day of glory. But till then, we pray, Lord, that you help us to live with the wonderful, wonderful perspective you have given us, a love that your Spirit convicts us of, a love that you've displayed. And we pray, Lord, that you help us to persevere in faith, knowing that we have peace and we have hope.